Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics, with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Well, Mark, great to be with you again on another episode of Informed Dissent. We're back. We are back, and uh, back bigger than ever. We've got a very special guest tonight. We've been excited to have her on our show, and uh, that is the founder of America's Frontline Doctors, and uh, recently released from federal prison, and we're glad to have her on our show to tell her story, uh, the leader of America's Frontline Doctors, Simone Gold. Simone, welcome. Thank you for coming on Informed Dissent. I had to come on and see my favorite early frontline doctors, <laughs> Dr. Barkey and Dr. McDonald. Thank you for yeah, having me. It's so great to have you. And of course, you're, you're uh, battling a, a big giant weather system now in Florida as well. And uh, it's great to have you on. And obviously, you've been through quite the ordeal over the last couple months. So update our audience as to what happened to you and, uh, and what is your path forward now? So as most people know, I founded, and, and as you said, I founded America's Frontline Doctors to just shed light on all the misinformation and lies that were being told to the American people by the media and the government. Um, but the moment we went public, and you all were there with me since the beginning, since that moment, you know, my life turned upside down, and I went on a trajectory of public speaking and educating and, I guess, um, community organizing and, and just, you know, fighting for our constitutional freedoms. As part of that, I ended up being very seriously censored. It was difficult to get our message out. And I would accept public speaking engagements, you know, everywhere, big, small, you know, really didn't matter, churches, synagogues, conferences, you know, rallies, etc. As part of that, I did accept a speaking engagement on January 6th in Washington, D.C. On January 3rd, I spoke in Tampa. The week before, I spoke at a TPUSA event. January 5th, I spoke in DC. January 6th, I was scheduled. And January 10th, I was scheduled. From my perspective, it was just really another speaking engagement. But January 6th was, of course, going to be very, very large, which is why I wanted to be there. I was an invited guest speaker, along with Marjorie Taylor Greene, Paul Gosar, many other people, about 20 people. When we arrived at our designated location to speak, which was right near the Capitol, permitted, you know, platform, stage, microphone, the whole bit, uh, the speak speeches were summarily canceled without any explanation. Do we know why? We don't know why even to this day. Um, we never found out why, but it's very important that people know my story, which is I was an invited guest speaker with a permit. That was canceled by the city. And I just want to, oh, I don't know by who, but it was canceled. And it was a little bit like people showing up for the Super Bowl. There were tens of thousands of people ready to listen to people like myself. And all of a sudden they were told that there was no speakers. This was on the east side of the Capitol. That's another critical fact because most of the little pockets of violence that were televised was on the west side, the scaffolding side. So although overwhelmingly it was mostly peaceful, most of the little pockets that you saw that had some violence was on the west side and I was on the east side. That's where our permit was. But when they didn't allow me to speak, just like you gentlemen, I was on a mission to save lives and I, I'd said, well, I have to speak. <laughs> it's, you know, it's almost like a neurosis I had. I had to speak. So I kind of scampered to the top of the Capitol steps and I started speaking. And from that point on, once somebody, not us, somebody opened the doors from the inside, we were swept inside with the crowd of thousands. And of course, I was peaceful. John Strand was with me. He was peaceful. This videotape of our entire time at the Capitol. And of course, we're peaceful. I'm a doctor. I'm trying to save lives. Of course, I'm peaceful. 
And of course, we didn't know what this would turn out to be. We didn't know, you know, you know, in retrospect, it looked like a setup. But at the time, we had no idea that this was going to be what it was. And because of my actions there, I was later arrested by the FBI 12 days later in a kind of a Roger Stone takedown moment. There was a huge SWAT team. There's a lot of I don't know if you guys saw the whistleblower from the FBI last week who set, who who confirmed that the FBI is using SWAT teams on people like me, which is very erroneously. His last name is Friend. Friend, thank you, officer, FBI, yeah. And that's what happened to me. It was 20 officers with huge machine, not machine guns, but I guess the AR rifles pointed at us. And it was just a terrible thing. And they overcharge. And as people may remember, I'm also an attorney. and. You know, the prosecution is not supposed to be charging citizens or other people with crimes for which there's insufficient evidence. So when you looked at the crimes with which they charged us, there was really only one charge that made any sense at all, and that was the entering and remaining on capital restricted grounds. But they charged five crimes. One of them was a 20-year felony of obstruction of a federal proceeding. Two others had the word disorderly in them. When you have videotape of the entire alleged crime and there's no sign of anything disorderly, it's a little hard to believe that the government is being honest with these kinds of charges. But when they're throwing a 20-year felony at you, most people will just take the plea. And that's what I did. So I took a plea on the entering and remaining. And I went before the judge. And as you all know, I think he was extremely harsh with me. I'm a, of course, I've never had any interaction with the prison system, criminal justice system nonviolent and he gave me 60 days in federal prison which I, I think was terrible and uncalled for I happened to be sent unclear reasons why sent to a maximum security facility you know it's hard I can't prove why I was sent there but I should have gone to a minimum security place but I was in a maximum security place but I have emerged intact it's been about two and a half weeks and uh, if anything I'm more committed than ever to the freedom fight from what I learned inside the prison the civil rights violations that we all are familiar with a little bit lightly in the hospital, like medical kidnapping or the dis the the lack of care for the individual, the individual's human rights. You know, you see that amplified in the prison system. So it will be, become one of those things that I do add to, to the things I discuss. There's so a learning a couple experience. Questions, a, a couple of questions here. The, the friend that was with you, John Strand, uh, he chose not to plead. And uh, he was actually in court this past week. Can you bring us up to speed? What happened with him? Yeah. So John Strand was working as my security guard and assistant and was with me every step of the way on January 6th. We were both offered the same plea deal, which is entering and remaining. Even though I got 60-day sentence, when you compare that to 24 years of all five charges that we were facing, that's certainly a tiny little sliver, right? And that's the same deal he was offered. And almost certainly he would have gotten less than me, given that I was the one in a senior position to him. He refused to take a plea. I've really never seen anybody take such a righteous action in my life. His reasons for refusing to take a plea came down to his religious beliefs of the Ten Commandments. He refused to bear false witness, even against himself. He refused to say something that wasn't true. He re and he also feels strongly that as Americans, some Americans finally need to stand up and speak truth. And we're all, you know, even in my case, you know, I, ha I, I, could, I could take the plea on the entering and remaining. That I, I was able to do, but I wasn't able to say the truth about all the other charges, for example. And he wasn't going to do that. He wasn't going to live on his knees 
saying he did something he didn't do. And he went to trial. And, and as cynical as we all are, it was even worse than you can imagine. The, the government puts on evidence that actually had nothing to do with the defendant. I found this very offensive as an attorney. They put on nine officers. I'm not saying they're not telling the truth, but the truth that they had to tell overwhelmingly had nothing to do with John. I think about seven of them had nothing to do with John. They were talking about things about January 6th generally, or the Capitol generally, but not about John in particular. So I have a problem with that. Um, I have a problem with that. Now, John acquitted himself very, very well. He was very clear. I do think the judge was moved by what he heard. I, I hope he was. I don't think, I think they understood him or they thought him to be something he wasn't. Their entire case against him, 100% of the case against him, is that he is a Trump supporter and a Make America Great kind of human. And that was the whole case. I mean, it was, it was showing his tweets and, you know, just portraying him as, as a MAGA guy. That was the whole case. And that's a very trial. sad day for him. He chose for a jury trial, and you know you hoped the the evidence was overwhelming that that John was you know not guilty of these charges, and the hope was that there's two or three human beings on the jury who would judge by the evidence. I will tell you that he had the right lawyer and it was the right defendant, and the prosecution was running scared. They admitted so after the trial. They they told the defense attorney that they thought they lost, which would have been a first. There have been no January six defendants who've who've won who've been acquitted. Um, but this was a unique defendant who was there working for his boss, who had a permit to be in the general vicinity, nonviolent, never had any interaction with the criminal justice system, no, you know, allegation of, uh, of, of working with any other group. We were not there on uh, stop the election or the steal. That, that's not what we were there. I'm there on a health mission. So if anybody should have been acquitted by a D.C. jury, this was the case. And, you know, the the prosecution i think was surprised i mean i know they were surprised based on what they said and if the judge appeared quite surprised at the verdict himself and i hope that's the case um because he his hands his future now his his life really lies in those in that judge's hands and tell us about the verdict so um john was convicted on all five counts for which he was indicted which um i think really proves that it wasn't a situation where the jury adjudicated the verdicts based on the evidence. And I say that because of the five charges, two of them contain the word disorderly. And like I said, they had videotape of the entire alleged 45 minutes that we were there. And the entire videotape, there's no disorderly. Everything is orderly, walking between the ropes. You know, John actually never spoke the whole time. He's kind of guarding me the whole time. He's, you know, you have the video where he's, he's being physically protective over me. And so there's nothing that's disorderly. So how can a jury convict on a word that includes disorderly? So once, you know, we started hearing guilty, 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 guilty. I, I said, well, <laughs> I mean, if there's anything, at least there's clarity that you can't get a, a fair trial in D.C. Like they just, they, they can't see it clearly. They, you know, I don't know what it's like. It's like Salem witch trials. You know, they just can't see what's right in front of them. So does it sound like, Simone, that the fact that, that all the charges were upheld by, unanimously by the jury, since it's a criminal court, it has to be unanimous, that that perhaps provides even stronger grounds for an appeal than if it had been just a mixed verdict? I, I think so. There's a lot of evidence. There's a lot of strong grounds for appeals, for an appeal. One is that the D.C. jury pool is poison. There's a lot of evidence to show that there have been studies commissioned, and, and we know that to be true. Two, specifically, it, it appeared 
that people were being allowed to sit for the jury in a voir dire process that shouldn't have been. There were jurors who said that they believed anybody present at the Capitol that day is guilty. Like, they literally said that at voir dire. Um, there's also the fact that John, like other defendants, requested change in jurisdiction because of the January 6th committee and just all the overwhelming press that you couldn't get a fair trial. And I, I really don't understand why no judge has allowed change in venue. I, I, I simply don't understand that. In famous cases, it's it's common to change venue. They understand that it's hard to get an uh, unbiased jury pool. So, And then there were specific other cases specific to John why I think his appeals ground is strong. And when is John's sentencing? The sentencing is on January 12th, and I know from my own situation how it goes now. So he appears on January 12th. At that time, the judge has the option. Now, this is another interesting thing. There's more than 300,000 federal statutes now, so it's very difficult to move through a day, a single day of our lives, and not violate some federal statute that you all are unaware of. There's just too many on the books. So this is a crime, interestingly enough, that carries zero to 20 years. Zero to 20 years. Let's think about that for a moment. Like, is this a real crime, or is this a crime that people get to just kind of make up and have the jury, uh, have the judge adjudicate the, the, you know, hand down a sentence? I mean, what crime is zero to 20 years? I mean, that's just such a crazy concept, right? And then the misdemeanors are, of course, up to a year. So this literally means he might get zero jail time and just probation, or he could get 24 years. It's just it, nobody knows like what that could be. And we'll find out on January 12th. Now, because he's nonviolent, typically, and like in my case, and I would imagine in John's, he would still be allowed to stay free until the Bureau of Prisons decides where to go based on what the judge has said his sentence is. So a minimum security guy with no violence, you know, no prior history should go to a minimum camp. But if, for example, he was given 20 years, he cannot go to a minimum camp just because of the duration of the sentence. But if he got a short sentence, he would be eligible for minimum camp. But while they are deciding that, sometime between January 12th and a couple of months, presumably he would remain free until the sentence would start. In addition, many times the judges will let defendants stay out while appeals are going on. So, but that's completely up to the judge as well. So he's out right now. He's out right now. He's, we'll stay out yeah. till mid-January. How is John doing emotionally and physically right now? You know, it's interesting. He and I talked about it a lot before, you know, when he turned down the plea, virtually every single person said, it. you know, it's not so rational to have turned that, down the plea. Um, he discussed with everybody, uh, very bright intellectuals, thought leaders, religious leaders, and he was very righteous in his determination to speak truth, to stand for God and his own religious values. So he is at peace. I I wouldn't advocate that everybody do this, but as long as you're doing it for the right reasons, you at least can live with the results. He couldn't lie. He couldn't bear false witness. He couldn't hedge. So I, I, I we're very sad and distraught over the outcome, but he is at peace with his decision. Yeah, very good. And um, obviously, it takes a lot of money to put on these kind of trials and have hire attorneys and, and so forth. How can people help you and John if they want to? Thank you so much for asking. So he was assigned a public defender who was excellent, excellent. And But there's no way to do the appeal without funds. He must fundraise to do the appeal. Please consider going to John Strand, J-O-H-N-S-T-R-A-N-D, johnstrand.com to learn more and to support him. 
he's really a freedom fighter in in the best sense of the word for everyone who's who's hearing this program tonight. And Simone, do you, do you think if if there's a red wave in this election, will that have a positive impact on the judge's perspective on sentencing? I think this judge is simply going to make up his own mind. I, I don't think the election will affect what the judge decides. Let, let's go back a little bit to you. Uh, obviously, you, you spent some time in a federal prison, for goodness sake. Um, and now you're going to be writing a book, the prison um, diet book, I think, because you lost about 20 pounds or so in prison. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your experience. And it was all carbs, too, which is even more interesting. <laughs> but it was Tell very us, bad uh, tasting carbs. I, 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 I understand you were treated very poorly, um, despite your minor offense. Tell us about your experience in prison. What was that like? So it was, it was very overwhelming and scary, just the preparatory period of, of going in. I've never known anybody in prison. I've, I've had zero life experience. I mean, as an ER doctor, I've met, I've had patients, but I've never had any personal experience. So I tried to get as much counsel as possible, but I, I was scared. I mean, I was definitely scared going in. I was very, very scared and upset when I found out I wasn't going to a minimum security camp. I was really scared. Um, I was sent to FDC Miami, uh, uh, yeah, Federal Detention Center Miami. It's a really immense prison, and they've got one floor for women. And they, women are mixed, maximum, low, medium, all of it. When I arrived, um, you know, it's pretty unpleasant. They put you through, you know, a little bit of, um, you know, fingerprinting and DNA testing, and then strip searched and the orange jumpsuit, you know, the whole bit. And then they walked and they handcuffed you, and they walked me up to an area that was an isolation cell, and I. I I just couldn't process this. I'm like, what do you mean? Oh, this is quarantine. I said, this isn't quarantine. This is an isolation cell. This is a punishment cell. (laughs) And they just dump you in the punishment cell. And they never said how long it would be. And, you know, they didn't talk to you. And (laughs) it was was terrible. I mean, I'm laughing about it now. I don't mean to. Did they force force you to be vaccinated? No, that... um, some stories went around that I was in there because I wouldn't be vaccinated. That's not true. They're, they don't force you to be vaccinated, but they put everyone who shows up vaccinated or unvaccinated in quarantine. The problem at FTC Miami is that instead of having a quarantine ward like they did everywhere else, much like in the hospitals when they say there's no beds, but there's plenty of beds, but there's not enough nurses, they didn't want to open up the ward. They had an empty unit for women, but they didn't want to open it up and pay a guard to stay there. So they just instead put the rare woman in an isolation cell to save money. But I think that that's illegal. I mean, they didn't do it to the men. So they just, it turned out they left me there eight days. Now in the past, it had been 21 days. So I suppose I shouldn't complain, but it was, it was brutal. What happened after eight days? So fortunately, so well, I just want to say one thing about isolation. I actually think isolation should not be legal in this country for most situations. It's, it's really that hard. It's, it's hard to explain how kind of devastating it is to your psyche. Maybe Mark could speak to that. But anyway, after that, they went to put me in general population. And that was another moment I had like my, my heart clutched with fear. Because as they opened the door to the general population area, you know, all eyes are on me. And I don't know if it's because I look different than other people, but... All eyes are on you. The room gets kind of quiet, and you're like, "Whoa!" <laughs> you know, you just don't know what that means. However, I walk inside. There's about 60 women in the unit, and I just kind of kept a low profile as best I could. And then it was fine. I got to know the women, had lots of conversations. I I ended up, you know, after maybe two weeks, started 
you know, before then I was kind of quiet, but then I started interviewing the women and really just getting to know people, getting to hear their stories. And that was fantastic. That was really an amazing, amazing life experience. So I'm very grateful, actually, just getting to hear people's stories. And it was a tremendous mix. It was really a gift for me, for my personality to be with maximum, minimum, and like low security, a mix like that. Had I been in a minimum camp, I only would have kind of met people more like me. But having the opportunity to meet people who were really in for 15 years, 25 years. I, you know, there was a young girl, she's 23, and she was, the, like two weeks after I got there, she was sentenced to 25 years. I mean, like, it's unbelievable. And just getting to know her and, you know, the stories are amazing. Are there, are there inmates now that you got to know that you'll continue to have a relationship with? 100%. 100%. So it's 100%. And it's a little bit like going through war. I miss them. There's several that I miss. There's several I expect to stay friends with forever. It's a little bit the way we all, the three of us, have gotten to be such good friends. It's a lot like that. There's just an intensity to it and also a piece, a piece of that experience that no one else can understand. You know, we understand what it's like. And... A hundred percent. Wow. Shout out to, to my, my friends. They know who they are. And yeah. Were there, um, were there workout facilities? Were you able to exercise? So the women were really like second class citizens. I mean, where is Gloria Allred when you need her? Because there needs to be lawsuits on the women being treated worse than the men. The, thankfully, there was a little gym and I did use it. And there was a courtyard area, but I really didn't go outside the entire time. So it was two months, almost two months, never going outside. Um, you know, it it just was unpleasant. You know, you we were locked down. Maybe almost fifty percent of the day we were locked down, and you know, there's always like surprise inspections or and there's also you know the surprising thing about prison. There's a lot of noise. It's like cacophony all the time. There's just like a lot of clanging, a lot of noise. There's there's a lot of the stories you see on TV, like people are talking in the vents, and there's this thing called they talk in the toilets too. Like it's a whole there's a whole culture going on, and on the women's side, probably different than the men's. Hair is a really big deal. So there's an iron, and they, the girls are ironing their hair, or they're straightening their hair, and they're ironing quesadillas, cooking and ironing, and it's just, it's just. I mean, I think the women, it's probably, you know, it's different than the men. So, sounds like there's going to be a book written. There's definitely going to be a book written on this. I'm hard at work on it right now. What's the food like? So that was kind of interesting. I was waiting to see. So for, what surprised me is that there's very, there, there's kind of, I almost feel like insufficient calories for the day, which really sort of surprised me. Um, not such a bad thing for Americans, right? We're a very obese nation, but that surprised me a bit. The quality of the food was pretty terrible. It was, you know, processed carbs. Most meals had, would have like rice and, you know, white rice and white bread and like tater tots, for example, like that would be kind of a meal. That surprised me. Um, the quality of the food was quite terrible, which, you know, the the people supplement with food that you can buy yourself at what they call commissary. Now, FDC Miami didn't really have commissary, but every two weeks they would bring you something on your commissary list. So the women in general we would supplement. You could buy ramen, ramen noodles or cheese. Um, yeah, it was, but it was good, right? Because I lost weight. That's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> it's all positive. It's all how you look yeah. at it. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you feel like you have... Any like post-traumatic stress from this whole experience? You know, you do have post-traumatic stress from this. You know, the arrest was terrible. And the, in prison, when they have total control over every moment of every day, 
and all decisions all the time. And it's kind of scary, you know, if, if you want to go to the bathroom, if you don't want to go to the bathroom, if you're cold or if you're hot, if you're hungry or if you are just sitting and they yell your name. So it, it, it's all the time kind of a stress, like all the time. At any moment, someone could yell at you or require you to do something or you have to go somewhere and there's no deviating. I'll give you a very small example. They kept coming up to me um, for a medical test and I kept refusing because they wanted to keep testing me for HIV and syphilis and it was ridiculous and I didn't need it. So I kept refusing. And then one time, one of the, the nurses said, oh, so then they put me in for a chest X-ray, I guess related to the D my TB test, but the TB test was negative, and I knew that they didn't need a chest X-ray. And I said, well, I'm refusing. And the guy didn't know, and he said, well, you can't refuse. And I just, I just, that's how it is. Like, you can't refuse. And I, you find that very, very stressful. And I, I do think it's, it is a little hard to relax. And Conceptually, knowing that the government can put you there, your own government can put you there, does mess with your sense of safety as you go through life. Crazy. Crazy. Um, but on the other hand, I want to make a little bit of a joke because I think that conservatives maybe sort of perhaps need to kind of get used to this a little bit. Like, I want to stand for the other side that you can come out through this. I mean, I'm not the only conservative that they're putting in jail. And they, they did the worst to me, the absolute worst. And do I look any worse for the wear? No. Anybody who gets stuck in the same situation, they're going to come through it fine. And you just have to have that kind of faith. So, you know, obviously our audience, this is just audio, not video, but I can tell you she, she looks great. Uh, she looks uh, like you've lost a little weight. Uh, you've got your hair up in, uh, in pigtails uh, and, you look, and you look happy and rested right now. So update us, Simone, on America's Frontline Doctors. What, what do you got going I heard about Freedom Clinics, maybe, and other initiatives. Uh, what's going on with the organization? Yes. So America's Frontline Doctors is, uh, how old are we now? I guess we're two years old, and we're in a really good place. I would say we do a lot of news. I want to remind people to please go and check out our news. Dr. Mark McDonald writes for our news division, and it's fantastic, Frontline News. So if you want to get uncensored, unbiased reporting, that's where to find it, Frontline News. We will occasionally bring a strategic lawsuit, perhaps once a year, maybe twice a year. We're currently revving up against the California Medical Board for a lot of um, targeting of physicians like myself and others for misinformation, um, trying to pull our licenses, saying we don't deserve to have our license <laughs> for misinformation. Which I'm under investigation for as well right now. You are? I didn't know that, Mark, but the good news is they're going to have to get through me to get to you, and I'm public enemy number one to Medical Board of California. <laughs> And um, we are very aggressively fighting back and pushing back on that. And my case is really to make sure that doctors like you and doctors downstream from you can just forget about this as an issue. So I'm sorry to hear that, but you and I will talk about that. So we bring occasional cases in the medical freedom space, the news, and of course our citizen core, where we help people at the local level hold on to the freedom in their daily life, like school situation or medical kidnapping situation. So please check out our Citizen Corps. And then the thing that you refer to, Freedom Clinics, you please go check out goldcare.com, goldcare.com. This is going to be the solution that frees you from the current dysfunctional medical system where you can find doctors that will put your best interest first. Goldcare.com, I'm super proud of it. We're, we're really 
hard at work on goldcare.com. Simone, tell us more about um, your Gold Care initiative of America's Frontline Doctors. And actually, before, before you do that, you shared with us some exciting news about what happened right before you went to prison. Uh, tell us about that. Yes. So you always have to look for the little miracles in your daily life. So I'm always looking for, you know, is God trying to send me a message? And it was scary before I went into prison. And I got the absolute greatest news for the whole year, which was the Friday before I went into prison, which was on a Tuesday. So four days before I was awarded my Florida medical license. Nice. This is a really big Great deal. News. That it's is a big, a big deal. deal. Obviously, I shouldn't have any difficulty getting any medical license, but California has really put the word out to all the other states to give me a hard time. But Florida didn't fall for it, and the application went through, and that was amazing. That is fantastic. Congratulations on that, and tell us Great about news. Gold Care. What what is Gold Care, and uh, how can people get involved? Thank you so much. So. It's Gold Care Health and Wellness, and you can go to goldcare.com, my last name, G-O-L-D-C-A-R-E.com. And this is a brand new way of delivering ethical, honorable medical care. There's been dysfunction in our medical system at least, I would say, 40 years. I grew up as the daughter of a doctor, so I've been watching medicine really since birth. And so what's happened really since the 80s to medicine is really a shame we, and then in the last couple of years we saw very explicitly doctors not honoring the hippocratic oath not putting their patients first we've all now become familiar with stories where hospitals are actually hurting patients um, killing patients putting them on death protocols medical kidnapping situations so the american people have watched this and they are scared and they don't know how to find doctors that have their best interests at heart and our answer is gold care now to to get yourself a physician who will put you first, you have to remove the middleman. The middleman are the insurance companies, the government, the regulators, the administrators. So GoldCare proudly does not work with any third-party person. You have a direct relationship with your GoldCare physician. But it turns Telemedi- out- Telemedicine or is, it, is, is this brick and mortar? We're starting, right, we've just started and it's telemedicine for now. But the future, as you know, well, the future, in my opinion, will be mostly telemedicine practice with occasional in-person visits for procedures and just sometimes when you actually have to see a doctor. So we're starting with telemedicine initially. However, we plan to expand to in-person with our Gold Care partners in the community, partner physicians. Can a patient anywhere in the country access a doctor or is it only in certain states? We have and we have physicians in all states, but goldcare.com has not yet opened up our practice yet in all states. We're currently in Florida and California and we have 10 more coming online in the next less than two weeks. I forget which 10, my team has that and we have already onboarded and credentialed doctors for every state. So it is coming soon to you in every state. People are nervous about the fact that we don't take insurance. And you've been, patients have been led to believe that healthcare is so expensive that they can't afford without insurance. But we teach you how to go without insurance and yet not be financially at risk. We call it assurance versus insurance. We give you assurance and we teach you how to go without insurance safely. Obviously, insurance is to protect against financial risk in the case of some medical disaster, like you get in a car crash or your appendix explodes. 
you don't don't you still want to have insurance to mitigate against a risk like that? Exactly. You definitely people need protection against the expense of emergencies, just like you said, typically a, a traumatic event. But we do that by partnering with a healthcare cost sharing ministry, which essentially is providing financial coverage for catastrophic healthcare expenses. Like you a MediShare kind of place. Very much like MediShare. The one we've partnered with is Zion. Essentially, it's for kind of the catastrophic costs and everything else you pay out of pocket. And when you do this, it's much less expensive than paying your insurance premiums, deductibles, and co-pays each month. So if somebody signs up with Gold Care, they have access to a physician in their area. They um, combine that with a MediShare-like program through Zion Care, so they're protected against catastrophic risk. And then they can get the health care they need through simple telemedicine and eventually even in-person care once uh, once you roll that out. That was said so well, I think I need to make you my spokesperson, Dr. Barkey. <laughs> what, what does That's it cost exactly. to join Gold Care? <laughs> so what, what does our, it cost? Our prices are transparent and they're as follows. We're doing a founding special, which is a $1,000 one-time cost. That is the membership fee. Then, and that includes all the classes pertaining to how to eat properly, the exercise you need, spirituality, and education on financial health, the assurance versus insurance. There's a lot of amazing classes. In After that membership is paid, which I believe is only $83 a month for that, then you pay for your doctor visits by the hour, just like you pay for a doctor. So they're sold in 15-minute increments, and it's set at $400 an hour, very much like a lawyer's fee. So it's $100 every 15 minutes. A first visit is typically 30 minutes. Subsequent visits are usually 15 minutes. We did the charges this way on purpose. Patients need to know what the actual cost of care is. We are only selling the doctor's time with you the doctor cannot make money any other way, does not make money on labs or testing or meds or supplements or anything. So you have total certainty that the doctor is only working for you. When you run the numbers, once you let go of your insurance monthly payment, and then not to mention the deductibles and the, the, the co-pays if you do actually use your insurance, Gold Care Plus Zion is much cheaper. So we, it, it sounds complicated because people haven't done it, but we run the numbers and it's much cheaper. And Simone, do you see physicians that participate with Gold Care doing this exclusively full-time or do you see this as a way that a doctor will augment what they're currently doing until they build up enough clientele to ditch their traditional method? We are happy to take both, but... The demand for gold care type of situation is overwhelming, and we just we're not and we we're growing as fast as we can. So we really have more patients right now than I can onboard doctors safely. We really are going cautiously with the doctors. We have about three hundred doctors that are affiliated with us now, which is a very large number. But I can't, I don't feel comfortable letting loose all three hundred all at once. So for a quality control perspective, we've started small. That's why I'm only rolling out a few states at a time. I do think eventually doctors are going to have to make a choice about which camp they want to live in. Because if you're living in the insurance model, you're told very much to CYA, and it's not really about the patient's best interest. We all three know we know that, that game. 
But if you come to gold care, you are liberated to really put the patient's interest first. And I don't think it's going to be so comfortable for a doctor to live in both camps. So a, a, a doctor who's doing telemedicine with a gold care patient, obviously right now they can't touch and feel and listen to the heart and lungs and so forth. So how do you overcome that obstacle? So nothing is perfect. And I, I ask people to give gold care grace as we get started. But one of the reasons we started in California and Florida is because I have connections in both places. <laughs> so, and one is a blue state and one is more of a red state. And we also wanted to experiment and see how it went in each area. So in the Florida location, for example, if somebody needed to be seen, we, which so far hasn't really happened because we just opened the doors in September of the telemedicine doors, we do have doctors that can see you within a few hour drive. Of course, we hope to improve that and we will improve that over, over the years. So we can have people that can be seen within, let's say, one to two hour drive. But it, it is a startup, so we have to start somewhere. Do you get any pushback from the malpractice carriers in insuring doctors to provide this kind of care? Interesting question. So the answer was we moved completely away from medical malpractice insurance, which was a very big business decision. Um, just like insurance, health insurance is feeding the beast, so is the medical malpractice insurance feeding the beast. It's a complicated answer. It would really require its own show. But we moved away from the medical insurance model, and it's a complicated answer that I'll, I'll tell you about offline. But it's also why doctors are most likely going to pick either one camp or the other. Medical gotcha. malpractice premiums for doctors, as you probably know or, or may not know, can run for low-risk healthcare, even like telemedicine, can be up to perhaps 15000 a year. That's really absurd. <laughs> it's just like ridiculous. Right. Um, so we made a business decision to solve that problem in a different way that protects the doctor, but doesn't cost the doctor 15000 Interesting. Interesting. Wow. We'll talk about pioneering, entrepreneurial, uh, freedom-loving, uh, uh, ideas. Uh, this this sounds potentially like it could rev really revolutionize yeah. the healthcare industry. It's. I, I just want to add, like, just as an example of how how revolutionary it is. You know, it, a CBC, for example, complete blood count, a, a very ordinary blood test. Patients might, you know, see a bill for this, and they see that their insurance. You know, the, the lab charged a hundred dollars, and they see that their insurance company negotiated the price down to you know $69 and that the insurance company then paid $58 so the patient has to pay $9 let's say right so they think that or I think I've done the math math wrong they think that they've gotten a bargain right but then if you go negotiate a cash price for CBC it might be $9 total right. literally $9 yeah so consumers are not going to be worse off under the system and they're going to pay less money and they'll have doctors that prioritize them and at the same time, we have protected the doctors from the financial risk that they associate them requiring protection with medical malpractice insurance, but we've built a different model. And do you see the next iteration once gold care is up and running and successful uh, that you'll have freedom hospitals? Mm -hmm. Exactly right. So we are just beginning conversations with a partner in the San Diego area to build a facility that would serve most of the same needs that a hospital would serve. We don't ever want to be a hospital because they're overregulated by the government, but there are there are ways to do almost exactly what a hospital does 
not calling it a hospital. Wow, fascinating. So if people want to follow what you're doing, they can go to goldcare.com and or America's Frontline Doctors and learn more about it. We invite you. Will you have mental health? Yes, very much. Yes, first Mark, of all, we have to. Yet? Only if she'll let me manage the shoe. Oh my God. <laughs> we have to. We have to build our freedom businesses on our side. We have to build media. We have to build the education space. We have to build in the financial space. We have to build in the health space. Or we're just going to be living in a socialist tyranny anyway. So that's what Gold Care is doing in the medical space. Mental health is a big deal. We already have a, a chief of mental health. I think Dr. Mark McDonald is too busy. Um, but... <laughs> but mental health is a big deal, yes. So it'll be multi-specialty then as well. It is. We, you start with... Another thing that we do that's different is there is no bias for or against what you and I call traditional medicine. Traditional medicine, allopathic medicine, and natural path medicine work together. So you end up picking the primary person that makes sense for you. You might pick a naturopathic doctor. You might pick an allopathic doctor. You might pick the mental health professional. You might... There's, there's, you might actually pick the dietitian to be kind of your primary person. A lot of what goes wrong, as you know, in medicine, in people's health anyway, is all related to poor diet. For example, Absolutely. a lot of people don't really yeah. need an allopathic doctor. They really just need somebody to help them, you know, eat better and, and exercise more. So people pick the health professional that makes sense for them. We don't make everything into a disease. So. If, if yeah. you just are a little overweight, so your blood pressure is a little bit high, or your lipids are a little bit high, maybe your right person is the dietitian and not really an right. allopathic doctor. Yeah, yeah, super interesting. I can't wait to, um, I can't market, wait to follow market it and, will determine. and participate. Yeah, absolutely. It's very much your cup of tea, Jeff. Yeah. Great update. It sounds like we need to have a America's Frontline Doctors reunion soon, huh? Oh, my gosh. I can't wait. <laughs> you guys are the best. Well, well, listen, we got one of our own now that's the um, Surgeon General of the state of Florida, right? Yes. So, I, you know, we should be very proud of what we've done, honestly. We, as, as you know intimately, and I just want to tell all of the listeners the physicians that were attracted to America's Frontline Doctors were, were really the best in the nation. The, every one of them has turned out to be exceptional. I didn't know that when I started. I thought it would just be, you know, your average regular doctors. It was not true at all. Every doctor that came to us in the beginning was really a superstar in their own right. So we have one running for governor of Minnesota. We have one who's a Surgeon General of Florida. We have, you know, Dr. Angie Farella, who's just done phenomenal work. Dr. McDonald, who's such an amazing public speaker. Yourself. Dr. Barkey with the with the school system and just the public speaking that you do. So we we and you know Dr. Emanuel there's it's just been incredible. Yeah, time for a reunion. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. For sure. I will be seeing Dr. Ladipo this weekend and I will give him your best regards. <laughs> we we had him on informed dissent uh, a couple weeks ago. He says very radical and controversial things such as you know you should pause before you cut off the genitals of children and he gets into a lot of trouble for saying things like that it's very radical positions exactly thank yeah. god for him and he's governor DeSantis for sure and i'm living in florida now i did i did flee the communist nation of california so how are you weathering the hurricane in florida right now so i am right in the eye of the hurricane i mean we were i'm from naples america's frontline doctors relocated to naples florida and so we got hit really hard i'm told it's the harshest storm in a hundred years and it it's not looking pretty it looks it's not great it's not great powers out you know waters I mean the waters receded now but 
there's a lot of damage. Yeah, for sure. You know, Mark, I'm sure you've seen this a lot more than I have, but um, hearing Simone's story, I almost get, you know, sympathy, anxiety, and stress. The, the, just imagining physically walking into a prison, not knowing what to expect, uh, putting on an orange outfit, not knowing where your meal is going to come from, knowing that every single aspect of your hum- humanity is being controlled by prison guards and, uh, and people that probably don't like you. Um, what must that be like from a psychological standpoint? And it's, I mean, Simone was only there for a short of two months, but there are people that spend a lot more time in these prison systems that are not always uh, good for mental health. You know, I think for the first time in history, we as Americans have to now accept and acknowledge that we have political prisoners in our country. And I don't recall any time in the history of this country where that's been true. I find that to be terrifying because political prisoners are put in prison not for their crimes, uh, not for their actions, uh, but for their expressions of their ideas. And, and that's simply not found in our history. It's, it's anti-American. So for people who are of conscience and who wish to participate in the American experiment to know that they can be put at risk of being sent to a prison through an unjust judicial process, it really puts us, at least in this domain, in the category of the Soviet Union or other dictatorships. And and that's quite terrifying. It sounds like, you know, it sounds like, Simone, you got through it, but a lot of people may not. And the anticipation of being tested in that domain could create a great degree of stress and anxiety. And I think, worst of all, really, a kind of intimidation factor and a chilling effect, which I think is the goal, obviously. It's not just to punish you, but it's also to intimidate others from speaking out. And if it succeeds, then we won't have a movement anymore. And that would be the, the, biggest, the biggest tragedy. It's not the individual tragedy, it's the collective one. And I'm certainly very concerned about the ongoing corruption, the judicial system, and the selective prosecution, and the encouragement of actual violence by criminals with the promise of not even detainment or arrest while at the same time and then we saw that with rioting obviously throughout the last two years while at the same time the the overt threats of intimidation and arrest by people like you just in the last couple of weeks in the last few days we've seen um, pro-life preachers being arrested at their homes with 20 to 30 fbi agents uh, taken to jail, threatened with 10 to 20 year prison terms. So this is, this is a, a national problem and, and you, you exemplify that as an individual, but it's, it's really becoming a problem throughout the country. So people really should be concerned. May I just, may I just want to add a couple of things. Even though I, I am having a good attitude about the whole thing, the reason I have a, I, I do think part of my mission is, is to encourage people who do find themselves in this situation. There are going to be more people who are political prisoners. And it's so scary beforehand that if this happens to anybody who's listening, just know that you will get through it. I mean, I do, I, that is part of what I want to say. That doesn't exculpate the system for, for allowing this to happen. This should not be happening in America. In addition to the political prisoners, I met many white-collar criminals. In fact, every female white-collar criminal I met was there for some version of the government alleging some kind of healthcare fraud. If you ever need a reason as a physician to never, ever, ever 
deal with government money or even insurance money, it would be spend a day with white collar criminals. They're all there because the government is alleging healthcare fraud. It's very scary stuff and doctors are minimizing the threat to themselves from the government. So there are, I do think there's a few specific things you can do to minimize the chance of being put in jail. Political prisoners is a different story, but the federal government is very has a very voracious appetite. Their numbers of prisoners has, I have to get the actual numbers, but in the past 20 years, I think it's it's gone up 50%, some crazy huge increase. And it's very difficult to avoid a federal charge in certain areas, and that biggest one is anything to do with federal money, and and it's just Medicare, etc. Um, but yeah, it's 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 scary, but you'll get through it if God forbid it happens to you. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, before we leave Simone, I just want to say, on be, certainly on behalf of Mark and I, and our listeners, um, you know, Godspeed to you. Thank you for the work that you do on behalf of the American people. Certainly on behalf of physicians fighting for freedom. Um, helping us regain our liberty. And it's people like you that are necessary um, in leading the fight um, so we all can hopefully be better off in the future. So thank you for the work that you do. Godspeed to America's frontline doctors. We're there to support you and help you any way you can. And we really appreciate you coming on Informed Dissent. Well, I have to say, as Jeff knows, but not every listener knows, You are my first podcast, so I'm never going to turn you down. (laughs) Thank you, gentlemen. You've been listening to Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.